Welcome to the First Baptist Cadillac podcast. First Baptist Cadillac is a growing intergenerational family of faith whose mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us each week as we engage God's word together. We would love to hear from you. Please contact us at firstbaptistcadillac.org or text WELCOME to 231-261-1112. All right, Matthew chapter 2. We are continuing on in our series, The Cast of Christmas, where so far we've taken a deep dive into the prophets, the angels, and the shepherds. And just as I was sharing with the kids, today it's the wise men, often called the magi. And so I'm going to ask you if you would stand as I read the text in Matthew chapter 2. We are actually going to go through verse 11, and it says this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures... They offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So would you please be seated, and we're going to dive into this. There's so much that we could talk about in regard to the Magi. We could wrestle with questions like, well, who exactly were these mysterious characters? Uh, From where exactly did they come? How many of them were there? How old was Jesus when they visited? Where was Jesus when they visited? And, and why did they even care about the king of the Jews? Because after all, they, were, they weren't Jewish. They were Gentiles. All fascinating questions that we're going to have to save for another time. Because today, all I want to focus on is the gifts. The gifts. Gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And ask the question, is there anything significant about these gifts? Do they individually have any particular meaning? And I believe the answer to that question is yes, that these gifts are not accidental, but they are, in fact, intentional. For in actuality, these gifts point to some important truths about Jesus. Specifically, these gifts point to his identity and to his mission, who he is and what he came to earth to do. Now, did the wise men themselves know at that time the special symbolic meaning of their gifts? Probably not. As far as they were concerned, they were simply bringing um, extravagant gifts of great value to Jesus. 
But if we, on this side of the cross, dig a little bit deeper and look at these gifts through the lens of Scripture, well, we see in context that they actually point to some very important truths about Jesus. And so let's briefly look at each of these gifts one by one. First of all, the gift of gold. The gift of gold. That was the first one that the kids came up with. They, they could identify that one very quickly. Gold points to the royalty of Jesus. Gold points to the royalty of Jesus. His kingship. For you see, kings and gold, they just go together, don't they? Kings and gold. In pretty much any culture, at any time, someone sitting on a throne is one surrounded by Gold. It's an indication of royalty. This was certainly true for King Solomon in the Old Testament. He ruled Israel during a season of prosperity known as the Golden Age. And when Solomon's wealth is described in 1 Kings chapter 10, gold is mentioned 10 times in seven verses. It was a defining characteristic of King Solomon's reign. All the gold, all the gold and an indication of his royalty. And so it is with King Jesus, who takes royalty to a whole nother level, doesn't he? Listen to how the Apostle Paul describes King Jesus in 1 Timothy 6.15. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. What a beautiful couple of verses that is, stretching our minds, our imaginations to just the majesty of who Jesus is, reminding us that Jesus is not just a king, right? There are a lot of kings who have reigned in the history of the world, Jesus is not one of those kings. Jesus is the king. The king. The king of kings and the Lord of lords. Further, we read in Revelation chapter 17, verse 14. They will make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them, for he is Lord of lords and king of kings, and those with him are called are called and chosen and faithful. I think what I take away from this verse is it's always a good thing to be on the side of the king, right? You don't want to be on the other side of the king. You do not want to be his enemy. For it goes on to say in Revelation 19, 16, on his robe, as he returns to earth, as he makes war against his enemies, on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Well, what exactly does it mean that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords? I think it simply means he alone has supreme power. He alone has supreme rule. He alone has supreme authority. There is no one, has never been, is not, and never will be anyone above him. And so, how are we to respond to the royalty of Jesus? Let me ask you. We've been doing that a little bit more in the sanctuary lately. How are we to respond to the royalty of Jesus? What would you say? With faithfulness. With faithfulness. I like that. I like that. Somebody else? With obedience. With submission. I think that's the word that I would respond with, is with submission. We respond with humble submission. With humble submission. As loyal, devoted, faithful, obedient subjects of his kingdom. We live to accomplish his will and not our own. 
And I asked, does that describe you today? We spend a lot of time, I fear, establishing our own kingdoms, working for our own kingdoms, and how everyone and everything can serve us. It reminds me of that old school gospel presentation, the, the, the four spiritual laws. It describes two kind of lives, right? Um, the first one is the self-directed life, where self is on the throne and interests are directed by self. But the, the problem with that is when, when we're all about self, we're never satisfied and things go quickly awry. And so it results in discord and frustration because that's not how we were created to be. We were created to be subjects of the king of kings, not kings ourselves. In such a self-directed life, Christ is on the outside. And for such a person, clearly they're not living in submission to the royalty of Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Does that describe you? It's easy to fall into that. It's easy to fall into the world's message. I mean, simply advertising on television tells you you are king and you need to get what you deserve. It's so subtle, but yet it has such a powerful way of shaping our thoughts and our minds. In contrast to the self-directed life is the christ directed life, where Christ is on the throne, not self. Self is yielding to Christ. Self is submitted to Christ. Interests are directed by Christ, resulting then in harmony with God and with God's plan. That's what it means to have peace with God and the peace of God, when things are aligned properly, when he is on the throne and we are not. This is the only rightful response to the royalty of Jesus. And it is why when people get baptized, what do we have them confess before the witnesses that, that are part of that baptism? They say, Jesus is Lord. Don't take that lightly. Think about the ramifications of what we're saying when we say Jesus is Lord. What we're saying is Jesus is on the throne of my life. The lordship of Jesus, his royalty, was symbolized by that gift of gold given by the wise men. But as we know from the kids, there were two additional gifts brought to Jesus. The second of them was frankincense. Look at verse 11 again. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. The second gift was frankincense, which points to the divinity of Jesus. The fact that he is God. Frankincense was a costly beautifully smelling incense. Maybe you have some great Christmas candles or incense this time of year that makes the house just smell wonderfully. Um, frankincense was used on very special occasions because of its expense, because of its cost, because of how special it was. Occasions like, are you ready for this? The altar of incense and the tabernacle and then later in the temple. A couple years ago, we did a series on the tabernacle, all the different elements, and one of those was the altar of incense. Sacred worship of Almighty God in this area known as the holy place. And this instrument, this altar of incense, was right there in the middle of it. Scripture seems to indicate, and this is interesting, God loves things that smell good. It would be an interesting book to write if you're just trying to trace through the scriptures all the things that it, it was a pleasing aroma to the Lord. God must have a very strong sense of smell because he has certain things that he loves to smell in sweet aromas. And at the top of this list is frankincense, the altar of incense. It had an important role to play in worship in the tabernacle and in the temple. Meaning that when the wise men brought a gift 
of frankincense to Jesus. It was more than just, hey, we want your house to smell good. Ultimately, it symbolized and pointed to the divinity of Jesus for incense, frankincense used in the tabernacle and in the temple. Well, then how are we to respond to the divinity of Jesus? We've talked about his royalty. Now, how about his divinity? How do we respond to that? Jesus is not just a king or the king. He is God. How do we respond to that? Somebody help me. On our knees. Oh, I love that. On our knees. How else could you respond to the King of kings and Lord of lords who is God himself? Somebody else, what would you say? With our prayers. You know, as we remember, and I appreciate that so much, as we remember the altar of incense and the tabernacle in the holy place, that incense that continually burned before the Lord and was a sweet-smelling aroma in his nostrils, it was, as we read in Revelation, it, it refers to prayer. It refers to prayer ascending to the Lord. How do we respond to the divinity of Jesus? With heartfelt worship. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him, Jesus the Lord. We respond with heartfelt worship as the wise men did. If you go back to the text, it says that they knelt before him as they offered gifts of gold and frankincense of myrrh, offering costly, extravagant worship fit for God Almighty, the creator of the universe. And one of the most aromatic ways that we can worship God is, in fact, through our prayers. Praying without ceasing, being in constant communion with God. Oh, how he loves that smell. It's like frankincense before him. So this is, in fact, what the altar of incense represented. King David said in Psalm 141.2, Let my prayer be counted as incense before you. So the Magi offered gifts of gold and frankincense to Jesus. And then finally, gifts of myrrh. Look at verse 11 again. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Myrrh points to the humanity of Jesus. Isn't that interesting? We have royalty, divinity, and now humanity. And myrrh was a special perfume, but it had some really interesting specific uses. And one of these key uses, watch carefully, was in preparing dead bodies for burial. We read in John chapter 19, verse 38. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, they took the body of Jesus, and what did they use to prepare it for burial? Myrrh. Myrrh mixed with spices, reminding us that, in the same picture I used last night in a little different context. 
This baby who was born in Bethlehem was destined to die outside of Jerusalem. Reminding us that Jesus came to earth on a rescue mission, becoming human so that he could be our perfect substitute, dying in our place for the forgiveness of our sins. And so how are we to respond to the humanity of Jesus? We've talked about his royalty. We've talked about his divinity. How are we to respond to the humanity of Jesus? The fact that he came to sacrifice himself in our place as our substitute. How do we respond to that? Somebody help me. We follow him as disciples. And that's what, again, our mission is to make disciples, to be followers and to learn how to be fully devoted followers. Somebody else. How do we respond to this? I appreciate that. And that's exactly where I'm going with deep, deep, deep. And it sounds so trite, but with deep appreciation. With deep appreciation. Appreciation that goes beyond mere words. You know, talk is cheap. You know, it's important to say thank you. It's important to say that we're grateful, but how much more important it is that we demonstrate gratitude. And I believe that the way that we do that in response to the humanity of Jesus and his sacrifice for us is Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual Worship. Jesus offered himself in our place as a dying sacrifice. How else can we respond but with such appreciation that we offer ourselves back to him as living sacrifices? As he died for us, we are now called to live for him. And so that third gift of the Magi, the myrrh, it points to the humanity of Jesus. It points to the cross and his death and his burial. And so, is there anything significant about these specific gifts? Do they have any particular meaning? And I believe absolutely the answer is yes. These gifts are not accidental. Rather, they are intentional. For in actuality, these gifts point to some important truths about Jesus, his identity and his mission. Gold points to the royalty of Jesus, and frankincense points to the divinity of Jesus, and myrrh points to the humanity of Jesus. And so how fitting it is then on this Christmas day that we celebrate the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is, in fact, a remembrance of this sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. It reminds us that Jesus came to earth on a rescue mission that would require him to sacrifice his life for us. The Lord's Supper is open to all who have turned from their sin and turned to Jesus alone as their Lord and Savior. The bread represents Jesus' body and the cup represents his blood. And it reminds us that Jesus came to earth as this baby to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Would you bow your heads with me um, in just a moment? Travis and Hannah are going to lead us in a song of preparation. But let's pray as we just ask God to bless this important time together. Father, quiet our hearts right now. May you cause all the dots to be connected right now that would truly give us the lens through which to view Christmas, the manger. We cannot help but view the manger but through the lens of the cross. And so we thank you for your sacrifice on our behalf. We 
recommit ourselves to you anew. We submit ourselves to you anew as King of kings and Lord of lords. We worship you anew in your divinity. And we offer ourselves back to you as living sacrifices because of your humanity, because you came and died for us. Holy Spirit, do a deep work in our hearts even now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.